Father God, I pray that your spirit would come on Clint with power, and yeah. Lord, that you would, um, you would speak your words through your vessel this morning. Lord, I pray that whatever you've prepared in his heart, um, Lord, and whatever you've been preparing in ours would come together through your spirit, um, and that mighty changes would happen, and that you would send revival through us this morning. Lord, help us to be open to whatever you have in store for us. Help us to, to cling to you and, and to chase you with everything we have. Uh, Lord, be with Clint this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Man, what a beautiful morning it is. You know, every time, every time I, 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 I speak, especially at family vacation, I say, you know, I'm not going to sing. I'm going to save my voice for the lesson. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do these things. And then we go and sing songs by Wren Collective and sing songs that you're just sitting there and you're like, I can't help but sing for this glorious and this great and this amazing God. I just can't help but do it. I can't help it. So if my voice is a little cracky, it's because I was screaming my heart out because our worship team is incredible and praise God for them. And guys, thank you so much, Matt and Kyle and Josh with all the AV stuff. Y'all do incredible work and I appreciate it so, so much. Man, God is moving today. Yeah, let's give them a round. They do awesome. God is moving today. And so today I'm going to talk to you about revision, what revision looks like. And I'm going to, we're going to talk about this guy named Paul. So we're going to be in Acts 9. So if you want to go to Acts 9, we're going to be right there. We're going to camp out there for a little bit, all right? So who was, who was this guy named Paul? <laughs> Acts. What would it be without word messes up for me, you know? <laughs> like... This was a man, Paul was a guy who wrote most of the New Testament, obviously, but there's some things that we may overlook on Paul. He was an amazing man of God, but Paul was a man who was exceptionally skilled at tracking people. He was exceptionally skilled at hunting human beings. That's what Paul did. You see, in Acts 7, uh, 58, I'm sorry, in, in Acts 9, 1, uh, Paul talks to the high priest and he says, and he asks them, I want to hunt these, I want to hunt people, I'm going to hunt these Christians down, I'm going to bring them before you. And the high priest says, yes. And he goes from town to town to town and he hunts these people. Paul's also a man who's not afraid to murder someone. Uh, in Acts 7.58, the stoners of Stephen laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. You see, when it says they, they had to lay, lower their robes at the feet of Saul, what that means is that whoever, that guy who they laid the, the robes at had to answer to the Romans for the murder of this person. He was responsible for killing and martyring Stephen. That's what Paul was. Paul was an apostle. We know this about him. All right? So, and, and it says in Acts one twenty one uh, that apostle is someone who saw the baptism and he witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. He saw both of those things. He saw the baptism of John, I believe. And he saw the resurrection of Jesus, I believe. And when he sees those two things, he, is, he calls himself an apostle. That's what an apostle is. And Paul was very familiar with Jesus, all right? When Jesus comes to Jerusalem. I mean, it's the greatest show in the world. Why wouldn't Paul go and look at the, watch Jesus, see what he does, see how he interacted? I just think that, Jesus, that Paul's first dealings with Jesus wasn't on a road to Damascus. I think Paul knew who Jesus was at the very beginning and chose not to believe in him. So Paul was very familiar with these people he was hunting. He was familiar with Christians. He was familiar with Jesus. He was familiar with these customs. 
And you know, I could talk about it all day long, but there's a, actually a video that I want to watch that I really think captures what Paul and how Paul hunted Christians. I'm going to set this up real quick. This is about, uh, the video that we're going to watch is about a guy who is, is talking to this, this man at a dairy farm. And this, guy, this man at the dairy farm is harboring Jews, okay? And this man who he's, who, who's talking to him, Colonel S.S. Landa, is, uh, he is hunting Jews. And so he's hunting this dairy farmer who has successfully hidden Jews for years. Let's see how, let's see how it ends up. Paul said this, that he was the chief of sinners. Let us not forget that. That when Paul was hunting Christians, he didn't go, oh man, he did a very bad job. He was out to kill Christ. He was out to murder everything that Jesus stood for. And when Paul says he's the chief of sinners, he's worse than this guy. And can you imagine this guy having a radical transformation than telling the Jews, hey, I've changed. How much skepticism and anger and hurt would be around that? It'd be remarkable. Paul was evil. But then something happened on the road to Damascus. All this time, we're going to be in verse 1, 9-1. I'm going to be reading out of the message. All this time, Saul was breathing down the necks of the Lord's disciples out for the kill. He went to the chief priests and got arrest warrants to take out the meeting places in Damascus so that if he found anyone there belonging to the way, whether men or women, he could arrest them and bring them to Jerusalem. Saul set off. And on the outskirts of Damascus, he suddenly was in a daze by a bla blinding flash of light. And as he fell to the ground, he heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, the one you're violently persecuting. I want you to get up and enter into the city. And in the city, you'll be told what to do next. Saul companions stood there dumbstruck. They heard the sound, but they couldn't see anyone. While Saul, picking himself up off the ground, found himself stone blind. They had to take him by the hand and lead him into Damascus. And he continued blind for three days. He ate nothing. He drank nothing. And there was a disciple in Damascus. And this man's name was Ananias. Jesus spoke to him in a vision and said, Ananias, get up. Go over to Straight Avenue. Ask for the house of Judas, for there is a man there from Tarsus. His name is Saul. He's there praying. And he just had a dream in which he saw a man named Ananias enter the house and lay his hands on him, and he could see him again. Ananias protested and said, Lord, you can't be serious. Everyone, uh, everyone's talking about this guy and the terrible things he's been doing and his reign of terror against your people and in Jerusalem. And now he's shown up here with papers from the chief priests and give him license to do the same to us. But Jesus said, don't argue, go. I have picked him as my personal representative to non-Jews and kings and the Jews. And now I'm about to show him what he's in for, the hard suffering that goes along with this job. So Ananias went to, the, went to the house and he found, and he placed his hands on the blind man named Saul. And he said, Brother Saul, the Lord sent me. The same Jesus who you saw on the way here, he sent me so that you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And no sooner were the words out of his mouth and something like scales fell from his eyelids. 
He could see again. He got to his feet. He was baptized, and he sat down, and he sat to a hearty meal. So Paul, the Christian hunter, has come to Damascus, or comes into Damascus, and I love Ananias' response. What an honest response. I want you to go to this guy named Judas's house, and I want you to talk to him, and Saul goes, you can't be serious. Did you see what he's done to people? Have you seen how he's dragged them out? Have you seen how he's done all these things? How he's murdered your people? And I love Jesus' response. Don't argue. Just go. How many times has God told us that? Shut up and do it. Okay. I can't imagine the fear as, as Ananias walks down straight street. The terror as Ananias enters the house of Judas, not really know what he's going to find. The anger when he sees Paul from Damascus, who has successfully hunted so many of Ananias' friends. The turmoil when Ananias is supposed to have compassion, share the good news with the gospel with Paul, and how God can give him back his sight. The turmoil that he's facing. I don't know if I want this guy to know and get down. And the surprise once the once mighty Saul is so humble. But not just humble, he's so eager to change. And the awkwardness of that hearty meal, <laughs> of you're sitting there and going, I can't imagine Paul sitting down to that meal after he was baptized and going, I was supposed to be hunting you. <laughs> and Saul going, I was supposed to be running from you. <laughs> but yet we're here at this table, the awkwardness of that meal. How did Paul do it? How did Paul go from this evil, evil man to someone who was so amazing and so useful to God? I believe there's some four things that, re, that God does in revision. He was revised. God showed him a new way, gave him new vision. <laughs> He was revisioned. I don't know if that's a word, but we're making one. He was revisioned. And revision takes four things. The first thing of revision is so important is the one, you can't do it without, is repenting. Romans 2.5 says this, because of your stubborn hearts and your unrepented hearts, you are storing up wrath against yourself on the day of God's wrath. When this righteous judgment comes, he will be revealed you have to be repentant if you want to have new eyes from God. You have to start there. Revision takes work. I love James 2.14 when he says, faith without works is dead. Because if this guy right here just said, hey, I love Jews now, how many people would take that with skepticism and hurt? But Paul said, I love Christians. I love them, and I want to do it. And his actions showed that and showed he was repentant. And that's the first step of revision. You can't go on your way, and you can't go on God's way. You can't have two masters. You must turn everything towards Jesus, and Paul got that. Revision requires us to put God on the throne and not us. And that's called repentance. You know, that, that verse in Romans 2.5, because of your stubbornness and your unrepented part, made me think about this. How many people have I hurt because of my stubbornness and my unrepented heart? How many people have I not helped? How have, and not even that, how many people in my ministry have I just, just thrown by the wayside when they needed help? 
because of my stubborn and my unrepented heart. How many people have you done that to? Because you didn't want to listen to God. When you're standing in the supermarket line and you want to share and then say, hey, I want you to come to this cool event so you can see things. And you're like, no, that's awkward. I'm not going to do that. And then they will never know the goodness of Christ because I'm too cowardly to ask them to go on the, on, on the trip with me. How many people, because of my stubborn and my unrepented heart? Paul got that. Paul got it because his stubborn and unrepented heart caused him to hurt so many people. And that's why he's like, I'm not having one. I'm not going to have a stubborn and unrepentant heart. I'm going to be repentant. I'm going to be teachable. You can't be service to God and to sin. We have to repent. So we have to repent. The second thing about revision that we're going to have to do is we're going to have to refocus. All right? <coughs> refocus is important. Repentant is turning away from sin. Refocusing is after repentance, staying on the course. After we repented, we refocus, we stay on the course. Paul says it like this in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Let me ask you this. When, when I was reading this, it kind of dawned on me. Is Jesus noble? Is Jesus praiseworthy? Is Jesus good? Is Jesus exciting? Then why is most of America dead when it comes to talking about him? Why? Why is it when we come and we worship song, and we sing songs like today and we do things and we're like, oh, this worship is incredible. Why can we not do that at our church? Because there's a part of us that doesn't think Jesus is exciting. And we have to repent of that. We have to refocus of that because Jesus is exciting. Paul looked at this and he saw this light. And I th I'm sure when the light hit him, he didn't go, you know what, that Jesus is just okay. I'm going to change everything around for him. But he's okay. No. Paul was like, this guy's incredible. This guy's amazing. This guy's truth. This guy's light. This guy's power. This guy's noble. This guy's amazing in every which way. And I will not stop talking about him. That's refocusing. That's focusing on the right things. Focus on Jesus. You know, I, I, I run across this a lot in my ministries, and I, I'm sure a lot of people do too a lot of campus ministers, and, and people run across this question is, I can't be used by God right now because I'm single. Or I can't be used by God right now because I'm in school. Or I can't be used by God right now because I got a D in this class and I got to, you know, get that D up. Or I can't be used by God because I'm kind of on the outskirts of, uh, of, of losing my job and I really need to focus on saving my job. I, I, I can't focus on, man, that's a bunch of malarkey. That is the most, most cop-out nonsense I have ever seen. That's like deeds and relationships and jobs and things are better than Jesus. And that's a lie. Man, Jesus can use a D. He can. It's called humility. And it's called, and when someone says, man, you're so joyful because you got a D. You're right, because Jesus overcame and he's so much better. Man, you lost your job. Jesus overcame, and he's so much better. Man, something bad happened. Jesus overcame, and he's so much better. 
You know, my granddaddy taught me this, this lesson, actually, this, this past time. My granddad has dementia. We, he's a really great guy. He was, he was the guy that, um, when, I was, when I was thinking about going to ministry and moving to Corpus, uh, he looked at me, and uh, I was going to wait there until granddaddy died and then move to Corpus Christi and do what God wanted me to do. <laughs> granddad looked at me, and he said, I just want you to know, if you're waiting around for me to die so that you'll do what God wants you to do, I'm not happy with you, and God's not happy with you. He made me focus on the things that really mattered and doing what Jesus wanted me to do. He knew he had dementia, he, and he's still around. Calls me the wrong name sometimes. That's okay. Because every time he'll go, Clint, Jesus is a pretty cool guy, ain't he? Sometimes they'll call me Chris. That's my cousin's name. He'll go, Chris, is Jesus a pretty cool guy, ain't he? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, granddaddy, Jesus is. I don't care that he knows my name. I care that he knows his. Refocus. And after refocusing, we need to be redirected. So we need to repent. We need to refocus. And after we refocus, we are redirected. So we look, and then we actually got to move towards that direction. All right? I don't know what that motion is, but we got to do that. We got to move towards Jesus. Here's how we move towards Jesus. Why do you think God gave you the people in your campus ministry? Ephesians 5.21 says this, submit yourselves to one another out of the fear of God. Redirection means allowing those people that God has put in your life and the Holy Spirit to show you how to live a life full of Christ and how a life full of Christ can look. Hebrews 4.12 says this, The word of God is, live, is active and alive, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. The word and our godly community guide us. I can't tell you how many times I rely on the people in my ministry how many times when things get rough that I, me and Lynn go out to Coney Island and we, have, we just sit down and we talk and he redirects me and he refocuses me. And I'm like, man, things are really hard. Things are really hard. And he'll say things like, yes, but Jesus is better. Ain't that right, Clint? I'm like, yeah, he is. We need those people in our life that are going to redirect us. And redirection's not one of those fun things. Well, sometimes it is. You know, I mean, you, you know, I'm walking off a cliff and you have a friend say, hey, don't walk off the cliff. I'm like, oh, thank you. I didn't fall off the cliff. You know, you'd think that would be a very generous thing. But usually, why do we meet that certain scenario? Like, fall off the cliff. <laughs> you don't know me. So you can walk on air? Maybe. Stubborn and unrepentant heart, man. By all means. We have a, we have a saying in our ministry. How's that working out for you? <laughs> Most powerful words you can ask a person. I'm going to walk right off that cliff. Okay, how's that working out for you? I'm probably going to fall and things aren't going to work out. <laughs> then why are you going to do it? We need to be redirected. Your church family is put in place so that you do not fall off that cliff. That's why they are there. Do not be stubborn. And do not be unrepentant, because believe it or not, your campus minister wants what's best for you. Did you know that? Did you know the Holy Spirit wants what's best for you? 
The Holy Spirit actually knows what's best for you. And sometimes being in a relationship isn't the best thing for you. It's not. Sometimes uh, the degree that you're pursuing and the things you're going after is not the best thing for you. Because it's not God realizing that that's going to become your God. God realizing it's much more important that he's your God and not that other thing, whatever it is. We need people like that to redirect us in our life. So in revisioning, we have repenting, we have refocusing, we have redirecting, and the last one is repurposing. Repurposing is realizing that his purpose is greater than our purpose, okay? Paul wrote this in Philippians 3, 14 through 15. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, heaven, me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take view of such things. And if some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. I love the verse of 15, the last part of 15. And if some point you think differently, God will change that too. Press on towards the goal which is him. Ask Paul which was more filling, to be this guy or to be the guy that, that led so many to Christ? The guy that was so on fire. To be this guy or to be the guy in prison who was chained writing these amazing letters of joy? Paul never looked back, guys. After he saw the purpose and he saw the mission of God, he didn't look back and go, oh, those days were so good. Why do we do that? Why do we look at our old sin and go, man, that was kind of fun? No, it wasn't. Being in sin's not fun. I remember waking up not knowing where I was, who I was, where I'd been, where my car was. I remember waking up next to a toilet. That's never fun. I never woke up going, man, I want to do that again. I always woke up going, I'm never doing that again. But why is it when we start following Christ, we look at it and we go, man, those days... You know, it was a really hard day, so I'm going to let go a little. So you're just going to go back into your sin. That makes perfect sense. The very thing that caused you to get there is the very thing you're going to come back to. Like a dog returns to his vomit. It's so true. So true. We need to repurpose our life. We need to have the purpose of God. Romans 5.13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope and the power of the Holy Spirit. So what kind of life does a revised, a revision life look like? We know it's repented, we know it's refocused, we know it's redirected, and we know it's repurposed, but what does that look like? There's a part in Acts that's one of my favorite books of favorite chapters of all, all of the scriptures, and it's, 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 it's when Paul is in front of Mars Hill. And Mars Hill was this place where all these people gathered, all these different ideas gathered, all these different cultures gathered, and there was a lot of people there, and Paul was there. And can you imagine Paul on the outskirts when they're, they're saying, we have this guy in Mars Hill, we have this guy, and we're going to talk to him, and he's going to come out and shed these ideas. Can you imagine Paul in the wings right here going, Man, things have changed for me. Here I was in my life, violently 
persecuting Jesus. And now here I am talking to people who I used to hate, cultures who I despised, Christians who I hated. Now I I, I used to violently persecute, but now I am passionately convicted of who God is and who Jesus is, and what Jesus can do in your life. And he stood up in Mars Hill, and he says, men of Athens, I see you're very religious. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm saying that. Because there's a tomb to the unknown God. And let me tell you about this unknown God, and I want to make him known to you. His name is Jesus. And at that moment, I'm sure Paul was like, oh my gosh, I have changed, and I have changed for something better. I imagine when Paul was in chains and he was laying down, and he said, oh God, I have changed. I used to be violently persecuting you, and now I am overjoyed. He is in chains overjoyed. I want to know joy like that. I want to know what it's like to have joy in the worst possible circumstances and look up at God and go, God was better. I used to persecute him. I wanted to kill him. Now I can't help but talk about him. I can't help but move towards him and go towards him because there's nothing in your life, not sex, not drugs, not rock and roll, not anything in your life that that can hold you back from the goodness and the grace of who God is. You know, when I saw this movie, my, when I saw this, I saw it with a guy in Corpus, and I was like, oh man, that guy was so evil. And the guy looked at me and he was like, you know, the grace of God can reach him too. I was like, what? There is no one on this world that the grace of God cannot reach. No one. How dare we think different? Guys, Are we acting like that? Are we acting in a revised life that there is no one in this world that the grace of God cannot reach? I want to be as bold as Paul. I want to be as overjoyed as Paul. I want to be revised like Paul. So badly. So what what about you? Are you going to be revised for Christ or are you going to go your own way? Are you going to experience saving and seeing others saved through Christ? Are you going to see them go to hell and not even care? What are you going to do? So just to recap on these last couple of things. Repent from your stubborn heart. Refocus your mind on Christ and how to share him with people. Redirect you and yourselves by submitting to God and the spiritual authority in your life and repurpose your priorities to Jesus' mission. Realize that Paul's revision required him to take every single one of his goals and center them on Jesus. Are every single one of your goals in life centered on him? If not, you need to be revised. You need new eyes. And if I ever get that way, I pray to God you tell him up to me and say, Clint, you need to be revised. Is your future based on him? Is your present based on him? Those are the questions we truly got to answer. And guys, if we really truly dig into who Jesus is and what Paul did and how Paul was revised, guess what? That life doesn't suck. It's a good life.
It's a great life. You know, I look at my, I, I, I said this today, and, and I mean this. When I was 19 years old, I said three things would be hell for me. To be a believer in Jesus, to be a father, and to be married. Those three things would be hell for me. 19-year-old me and 32-year-old me would probably get in a fist fight. <laughs> I didn't even say minister. Are you kidding? I didn't even dream I'd be here, you know? But I know this. I know with every ounce of me that I'd try to talk sense into that guy and say, if you only knew the goodness of what a revised life is, if you only knew how good this Jesus is. We're going to pray, and as we pray, the, the worship team is going to come on up, and, and we'll, uh, and, uh, are, are we? No, okay, I'll agree. We're going to pray, and then we'll figure out what to do after that. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for everything you've given me, God, given us. God, I pray that we're revised. I pray that we become like Paul, Father, and that, God, we truly, passionately come after you, Father God. With everything we are, God, revise us. Give us new eyes, Father God. Let us repent in the areas in every which way, Father God, not in areas that we think. Father God, repent. Let us repent in every ounce of our heart and go towards you with everything we have. Father God, refocus us. Father God, redirect us. And Father God, repurpose us. And Father God, with everything in us, as the weekend proclaims, Father God, let us reclaim you in everything we do. Thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for these people. Thank you for the classes, Father God. I pray you're with the teachers too, Father God. Thank you for everything you are in your holy, majestic, amazing name we pray. Amen.